A slow metabolic rate. It's the main reason for weight regain after weight loss. How can we keep it elevated? Tune in to find out only here on the People Scientist Podcast. People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast for episode 113, where every week I arm us with some scientific information so that we can all become a little bit smarter and healthier with every episode. How are you today? I hope your day is going well, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. I hope that for the next 20 minutes or so, the time you give me will be worth your while, that I can share some interesting scientific information with you. So what are we talking about in today's episode? I have been interested lately in the topic of our metabolism or our metabolic rate. Why do we even consider it? What influences our metabolism? What can cause our metabolic rate to plummet and what can increase it? How does it influence our body weight? Well, I am going to get into all of that in today's episode. So as we always do, let's start off with some core takeaways. Let's think of our metabolic rate as how efficient we make energy, how efficiently we can turn food or our body's own energy storage, like our fat, into energy. Think of our metabolic rate as a person throwing coal in order to fuel the train. How fast is that person putting the coal into the fire? Are they working at a really good pace so that the train can run quickly and efficiently? Or is the person putting the coal in at a slow, unorganized pace? Then the train would run too slowly, right? Well, the same thing may happen with our metabolism and why we consider it. If our metabolism slows, then it increases our risk of weight gain and is associated with obesity. In particular, it is associated with weight regain after weight loss. So what influences our metabolic rate? Well, in today's episode, I talk about how eating low-calorie can unfortunately lower our metabolism, but exercising, gaining muscle mass, eating a good amount of protein, having a source of caffeine, the time of day we may eat our meals, these are examples of potentially helpful factors to help maintain our metabolic rate. Now, let's get into those scientific details. Our resting energy expenditure is the amount of energy measured in calories that our body requires to fuel it at rest. 
So if we spend a day in bed, how many calories our body requires to maintain itself? That's our resting energy expenditure. This resting energy expenditure may also be referred to as our metabolic rate or how many calories we burn per hour. Now, the reason why we focus on our metabolic rate or study it is because scientists like Buscemi in the International Journal of Obesity in 2005 reported that in those with a slower or lower resting metabolic rate tended to be at a higher risk for weight regain after losing weight. And they also tended to have a higher fat mass or an increased likelihood for obesity. So it is incredibly important in the context of fueling us, as well as our ability to have a healthy body weight. So that begs the question then, what influences our metabolic rate? What is in control of our lifestyle that we can change starting today that can influence our metabolic rate? Well, I'm going to get into that in today's episode. For example, one big contributing factor that can influence our metabolic rate is the number of calories we consume. And if we lower the amount of calories we consume and lose weight, that unfortunately can lower our metabolic rate. For example, Steen and Jama in 1988 investigated to see if weight cycling in wrestlers, meaning losing and gaining weight repeatedly, they wanted to see if that altered their resting metabolic rate. Now, scientists compared individuals with a history of weight loss and weight regain, so weight cycling, versus those that did not have that. The scientists noted that in those that weight cycled appeared to have a lower resting metabolic rate by about 13%. So for example, if we tend to do crash diets or consume really low calorie diets, and then we tend to regain that weight rather quickly, it is possible that this cycling of body weight may actually negatively impact our resting metabolic rate as indicated in this study. So if we want to lose weight, unfortunately the old adage of doing so slowly and in a controlled manner really truly may be the most efficient in the long term, as opposed to going to the extremes and quickly gaining a lot, quickly losing a lot of weight and then regaining it. Martin and colleagues in the journal Obesity in 2007 conducted a randomized controlled clinical trial in 48 participants. Now, these 48 men and women were split into four groups. They either were asked to do a 25% calorie deficit diet or a 12.5% calorie deficit and 12.5% increase in energy expenditure through exercise or a very low calorie diet around 900 calories per day to quickly induce weight loss, and then to maintain that afterwards, they had to achieve a weight loss of 15% their initial body weight with this very low calorie diet. Then once they hit that, they would then try to maintain. Or they had a control group where they were asked just to maintain their body weight for six months. So the scientists compared these four groups of individuals, and they measured the participants' metabolism over this six-month period. Now, the scientists noted that in these participants, interestingly, the individuals that had more muscle mass tended to have a higher metabolic rate. They also noted that regardless of the style of calorie restriction, calorie restriction in general resulted in a decrease in their metabolic rate. They saw on average about a reduction in metabolic rate by about 7% over that six-month period. 
Now, Hoffer in 1984 noted that with low-calorie diets, protein intake becomes even more important. That the general rule of approximately 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram body weight may not be enough when following a low-calorie diet. In this trial, they estimated that in order to maintain our nitrogen balance, they called it, that going up to 1.5 grams of protein intake per kilogram of our body weight might be necessary. So let's talk a little bit about protein and our metabolism, as increasing our protein intake might be one way in which we can help keep our metabolic rate elevated. In 2018, in the journal BMJ, scientists compared a higher, moderate, and lower carbohydrate diet for the maintenance phase after weight loss and measured the participant's metabolic rate. Now, the lower carbohydrate diet, which consisted of 20% of calories from carbohydrates, resulted in a higher energy expenditure and metabolic rate versus the 60% carbohydrate diet. So eating a lower carbohydrate diet during the maintenance phase may be assistance here. So if it is a lower carbohydrate diet, what macronutrient replaced the carbohydrates? primarily protein. Protein in general tends to raise our body temperature and results in thermogenesis. So it is also thought that eating a good amount of protein, around 15 to 35% of calories from protein, might aid in keeping our metabolism from dropping after weight loss. So to repeat that, the weight training to gain muscle mass, daily exercise, eating lower carb, and a good amount of protein may help to maintain our energy expenditure and metabolic rate after weight loss. Now, Whitehead and colleagues in 1996 looked at the impact of protein intake on energy expenditure, and specifically if protein intake could influence the decline in metabolic rate we typically exhibit when cutting calories. In this trial, in eight individuals, they gave them three calorie-restricted diets at seven days each. One diet was 36% of calories as protein, and two diets with 15% of energy as protein, but one was high in carbohydrates and the other was high in fat. So this was a well-designed study in my opinion. The scientists noted that their 24-hour energy expenditure and metabolic rate while sleeping declined on all three of the low-calorie diets, but the decrease was significantly less on the high-protein diet than on the two lower-protein diets. Weight loss was similar on all three diets. So eating a good amount of protein, like in this clinical trial, it was 36% of calories is protein. We generally say to aim for 35% of calories for pro from protein as the maximum. That a good amount of protein while eating low calorie may be able to benefit our metabolic rate and prevent some of that reduction in our metabolism. Now, with the increased amount of scientific evidence coming out on the health benefits of intermittent fasting, I had to investigate the impact of meal frequency on metabolic rate. For decades, we were taught that we should eat small meals frequently so that we can keep our metabolic rate elevated, that if we skipped meals or waited too long in between meals, that our metabolism would drop or that we would be more likely to binge and eat too much at our next meal. And for some individuals, this may be true. Intermittent fasting is not necessarily appropriate for everyone. But is there any scientific evidence to support or nullify that notion of influencing our metabolic rate? Let's take a look. 
I think a landmark study that started this notion of frequently eating small meals was published by a well-known scientist in a top journal. It was David Jenkins published a clinical trial in the New England Journal of Medicine back in 1989 on this topic. The scientists had recruited seven men, and they had the men eat the exact same foods for two weeks at a time. They either ate what they coined the nibbling diet, where they eat 17 small snacks throughout the day, or the three-meal-a-day diet. During each two weeks of the diet, the scientists measured several compounds in the participants' blood. They noted that on the nibbling diet, where the participants ate 17 small snacks per day, that their serum insulin decreased by 28%, their mean 24-hour urinary C-peptide output, which is another marker of insulin production, decreased by 20%, and that stress hormone cortisol that may contribute to weight gain reduced by 17%. Interestingly, their total cholesterol and LDL cholesterol, that cholesterol that has the potential to be bad and contribute to clogged arteries or atherosclerosis, they also reduced with the nibbling diet versus the three meals per day. Now keep in mind, it was the exact same foods, the exact same amount of calories. It was just simply the frequency at which the men ate that caused this change in the parameters. So this was one of the first studies to illustrate that frequent snacking may have some metabolic benefits versus eating three meals per day. But I have some issues with the study, as they only looked at a few things. It was only seven men. And really, how realistic is it to eat 17 snacks throughout the day? Most of us are busy and can't graze like that throughout the day. But nonetheless, it is an interesting study. So how about some better designed clinical trials? Smeets in the British Journal of Nutrition in 2008 recruited 14 women of normal body weight. They had the individuals eat two meals per day, skipping lunch, or three meals per day. Now, the meals or the calories were equal throughout the day, whether it was two or three meals. It was the exact same. So either eight hours in between meals or four hours in between meals is what they had the women follow. The women were then placed in a respiration chamber, which is a really accurate way to measure metabolic rate. The scientists noted that eating two or three meals per day had no impact on 24-hour energy expenditure. It had no impact on their diet-induced thermogenesis, so the heat that we produce after eating. It had no impact on activity-induced energy expenditure or sleeping metabolic rate. But eating three meals compared to two meals per day increased 24-hour fat oxidation by 52%. So eating more frequently may shift our metabolism to burn fat more readily versus other fuel sources but it does not seem to significantly change the amount of calories we burn overall. I think that's quite interesting, as I would have thought the opposite, that fasting would cause us to shift our energy sources and for us to burn more fat. But apparently, according to this study, that is not the case. Eating more frequently of three meals versus two meals per day causes us to burn fat as our fuel source more readily. So eating two meals versus three meals per day may not significantly change the amount of calories we burn at rest, though. So in the end, I'm not sure it matters so much, two meals versus three meals per day. But this got me thinking, does time of day that we eat play an important role on our metabolism? Like, what if we skip breakfast? Or if we finish eating earlier in the day? Like if we do time-restricted eating in that shorter time frame? 
Well, NAST and the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2017 studied exactly that, the impact of skipping breakfast versus the impact of skipping dinner. They conducted a randomized controlled trial where 17 participants with a normal BMI ate the same calories across three days, but either split into three meals or two meals with a skipped breakfast or skipped dinner. The scientists measured their metabolic rate, their energy expenditure, and fat burning by having the participants hang out in a respiratory chamber, just like the previous clinical trial. So respiratory chamber in this particular scenario is nine square meter room with a TV, a computer, a chair, a bed, a bathroom, etc. The participants were asked to stay in this respiratory chamber, this room for 24 hours where they could measure the amount of carbon dioxide, oxygen, etc. that the participants would consume or exhale. And that is going to be an indication of their metabolic rate. So what did the scientists find out? Well, the participants burned more calories when they skipped a meal, regardless of whether it was at dinner or breakfast. Participants also burned 16 grams more fat when they skipped breakfast specifically. But the scientists noted that after eating a meal, when participants skipped breakfast, their blood glucose levels were 46% higher than when they skipped dinner or when they ate three meals. So this is an interesting study because it speaks to the idea that scientists for a long time have cautioned against skipping breakfast as it may lead to alterations in blood glucose levels and the risk for diabetes because an increase of blood glucose by 46% of skipping breakfast is pretty significant. So in this particular clinical trial, eating breakfast and finishing eating earlier may be more in sync with our circadian rhythm, our metabolism, and our blood glucose levels. Because if dinner was skipped, metabolic rate increased, but they didn't see that increase in blood glucose. So eating earlier on in the day might be a benefit. Now the idea of us eating our calories earlier in the day is also supported by a study in 2019 in the Journal of Obesity. Okada and colleagues noted in a population of nearly 20,000 women that eating a late dinner or having a bedtime snack was associated with a two-fold increased odds of being overweight or obese. So that notion of us eating breakfast and not eating too late does really seem to be supported by the scientific evidence. And the reason why eating late in the day is thought to be less healthy is because our metabolism is ready to break down food and turn it into energy shortly after we wake. Our metabolism may slow down as the day progresses on. So if we eat earlier in the day and less at night, this may be a benefit to our metabolism. But overall, whether eating frequently or following time-restricted eating is better for our metabolism, I think is still undecided. I have seen conflicting results. And in truth, every person is different as well. I think if you find that you regain weight more readily with one way of eating, we could try the opposite and see how our body reacts. Okay, so far I spoke of how reducing calories and losing weight may unfortunately cause our metabolism to slow down and that that could contribute to weight regain. But if we increase our protein intake, if we have a higher amount of lean muscle mass, if we make sure to eat our breakfast and not eat too late in the day, that might be of benefit. But what else might help? Weight training and putting on muscle mass is likely to be of benefit as muscle is highly metabolically active. We've known for decades that muscle mass greatly impacts our metabolic rate. 
Zerlo in 1990 in the Journal of Clinical Investigation wrote of this. They determined that the amount of muscle mass we have can explain about 50% of our metabolic rate, so a significant proportion. Wire in 2000 reported that the more muscle mass an individual has, the higher their resting metabolic rate. So in short, doing some strength training and adding muscle mass is likely to be of benefit to our metabolism. Exercise in general also raises our metabolic rate. In 1993, in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, the scientists compared a low-calorie diet group versus a low-calorie and exercising group in overweight women. The scientists noted that the addition of exercise to a low-calorie diet resulted in an increase in metabolic rate by 11% and a greater weight loss versus calorie restriction alone. In 2018, in the journal Obesity Reviews, Barnes and Hills also wrote about this specific topic. They wrote about just how much exercise might be required to help maintain our metabolic rate and to maintain our weight loss. They report in this paper that the greatest improvement in health and metabolic rate was observed in people who changed from a sedentary lifestyle with little to no exercise to regularly completing just 5 to 10 miles of walking per week. So if we are attempting to lose weight and generally do not exercise, then aiming to walk 5 to 10 miles per week will help keep our metabolic rate up and help us keep the weight off. However, the same modest increase in exercise does not have the same improvement in health or metabolic rate for individuals with a habitually higher level of exercise. So how about in people who regularly exercise? In the Harvard alumni study, they noted that the greatest improvement in metabolic rate is in those burning around 3,000 to 3,500 calories from exercise per week. So if you aim to burn an extra 500 calories per day through our workouts, this is likely to have a benefit to our metabolic rate and our ability to maintain a healthy body weight. Speakman and Selman wrote a review in 2007 in the journal PNOS about the influence of physical activity on our metabolism. Now, many studies of human subjects indicate a short-term elevation in resting metabolic rate in response to a single workout. This has been called the excess post-exercise oxygen consumption, or EPOC. EPOC means the increase in our metabolic rate after a workout. This EPOC appears to have two phases one lasting less than two hours, and a smaller but much longer lasting effect up to 48 hours after a workout. So what this means is when we exercise, we aren't only burning extra calories directly from the workout itself, but up to 48 hours later, our metabolic rate is increased too. So at rest, we're burning more calories as well. But by how much? Well, that depends on how intensely and for how long we work out, but in general, in this review, they put together several clinical trials and noted that after exercising, our EPOC increased by about 5 to 25% compared to people who did not exercise. So what else may help with our metabolic rate besides exercise and putting on muscle mass? How about spicy food? I've heard claims that capsaicin, the compound that is responsible for the spice or heat, hot peppers may raise our metabolic rate and help with healthy weight maintenance. Is there any evidence to support it? Well, Lejeune in the British Journal of Nutrition in 2003 aimed to see if consuming the compound in hot peppers capsaicin that could prevent weight regain after people have lost weight. 
Now, again, I really like that scientists hone in on this phase of weight maintenance or weight regain because I feel like we may be able to lose weight successfully, but it is preventing the weight from coming back on that is the tougher challenge. Now, this is also a really well-designed study, so I'm a fan of it. In this study, they recruited 91 overweight subjects. Now, for four weeks, the scientists had the participants follow a very low-calorie diet. Now, on average, the participants lost 6.6 kilograms, which is 14.5 pounds. This equated to a weight loss of nearly 8% their initial body weight. Then they followed the participants for three months. Half the participants received 135 milligrams of capsaicin per day, the other half placebo. The participants underwent several in-depth analyses. The scientists noted that the participants taking capsaicin burned fat at a higher rate. More specifically, their fat oxidation after weight maintenance was higher in the capsaicin group compared with the placebo as they burned 4.2 grams of fat per hour. The placebo group burned 3.5 grams of fat per hour. However, the scientists did not notice a difference in body weight regain over the three months between the capsaicin and placebo group. Both groups gained about 1 to 2 kilograms, or 2.2 to 4.4 pounds, during the three-month maintenance phase. So what the scientists conclude is that taking capsaicin may help burn fat and increase metabolic rate in that regard, but it may not result in an overall impact on body weight regain after weight loss. In 2011, in the journal Physiology and Behavior, 25 men and women were recruited to determine if spicy food could increase body temperature and alter appetite. Half the participants were frequent consumers of spicy food and half were not. The scientists noted that eating one gram of hot red pepper increased body core temperature and energy expenditure versus no red pepper. They also noted that the intake of the spicy red pepper reduced measures of appetite by about half. This included measures such as preoccupation with food and the desire to consume fatty, salty, and sweet foods. This finding has been replicated quite a few times in different populations. It is important to note that they also looked at capsules of hot red pepper, and this did not seem to have the same effect. So actually tasting and chewing the hot red pepper seemed to be necessary in this clinical trial. Interestingly, people with a history of eating spicy food seem to respond less to the benefits of spice on appetite. So it may be a good idea to sometimes take a break from eating spicy food then start up again in order to somewhat resensitize our body's response to spice. Now do keep in mind that spicy foods may worsen gastric reflux and stomach ulcers. So if you are prone or suffering from this, it may be in your best interest to avoid spicy food. Always talk with your physician before trying something new. It has also been realized for decades that animals eat in order to stay warm. This is called diet-induced thermogenesis. The reason being is when we eat, our body responds by releasing heat. And after eating, our breathing rate increases, our heart rate may increase, and our metabolism will increase to break down and use the energy from food. The energy is released in part through heat. As a result, there is a concept called heat-induced satiety. Satiety means we are satisfied, satiated, and no longer are hungry or craving food. So heat may be one of the signals to tell our brain, okay, you can stop eating now. I'm warm enough. And I go into more details about this in episode 63, how we may use heat 
or spicy food to help us gain control of our food cravings to help us maintain a healthy body weight. So if that interests you, you can go back to episode 63 and give it a listen. Now, how about caffeine? Can it influence our metabolic rate? Well, caffeine is present in things like coffee, energy drinks, black tea, green tea, and dark chocolate. Caffeine is thought to alter our metabolism because it is a stimulant. And stimulants in general can raise our metabolic rate. In a really good clinical trial back in 1980, Atchison and colleagues conducted a study to see how certain amounts of caffeine might influence metabolism. Now, in this study, they provided 8 milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight, which is pretty high. So, for example, for a 150-pound person, that is about 550 milligrams of caffeine, so nearly 6 cups of coffee. The participants' metabolic rate increased significantly during the three hours after taking the caffeine. The scientists also noted that in the participants, free fatty acid levels rose from 432 to 848, so nearly double. This was also increased, or this was also accompanied by a significant increase in fat oxidation during the last hour of the test. So this means as caffeine seems to shift us to use fat for energy. Also, when caffeinated coffee was taken with a meal, it appeared to raise metabolism versus decaffeinated coffee with the meal. So it does appear that caffeine as a stimulant may be able to increase our metabolic rate. But as I mentioned in last week's episode, caffeine can also induce feelings of anxiety. So please do keep this in mind. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army, an episode dedicated to our metabolic rate. If you by chance want to buy me a coffee to say thank you for the episode, you can do so via Patreon or Venmo. And the information on how to do that is in the description box to this episode. So in summary of today's episode, we pay attention to our metabolic rate because it is an essential factor in our ability to maintain a healthy weight. Our ability to lose weight and to prevent weight regain. Our metabolism may unfortunately slow down with a low-calorie diet and if we lose weight. This is the main reason for why we may have weight regain, because of a slow metabolism. Our metabolic rate may also be impacted with periods of fasting or if we eat our meals later in the day. I think the verdict is still out as to whether fasting increases or decreases our metabolic rate. I have seen conflicting results, and I think it depends on a lot of factors. But what is more scientifically evidenced is that during a low-calorie diet, eating about 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram body weight, exercising, putting on muscle mass, consuming a source of caffeine, a source of capsaicin and spicy food, that those may be of benefit to our metabolic rate. So after a period of low-calorie eating and after we've lost some weight, We could try increasing our protein, putting on some muscle mass, exercising regularly, eating earlier in the day as opposed to later in the day, having a source of caffeine and capsaicin. These things might be of benefit to prevent weight regain after weight loss. These additions may help us to achieve a healthy weight. So I hope that this was helpful and interesting for all of you. And I hope that you all have a wonderful week. And thank you for hanging out with me in today's episode. And I look forward to spending time with you again in next week's episode, the same time and same place next week on the People Scientist Podcast. Bye for now. 
am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.